Just as a warning, this episode may include topics that are sensitive to some listeners. Consume at your own risk. Don't forget to follow My Warp Life on Instagram to hear when new things are coming and enter one of our monthly giveaways. That's right. You know, you can win yourself a t-shirt and a beanie, which I don't have yet, or even a bottle of Kevin Lyman's hot sauce, which I do have, and it's fantastic. So don't forget, if you have any questions for us or topics you want us to discuss, text us at 818-863-6445. And if you enjoy listening to the conversations with our guests, you can hear the full versions of all the interviews on our Patreon for only $5. We donate all the proceeds to our favorite charities and you can cancel any time we got another episode Woo-hoo! Woo-hoo! we're filming another episode today and this one is something that was really fun oh is this not coming out until valentine's day hey it's february look aren't you glad we're out of the pandemic Gosh, yes. no more masks everything's cool i'm just reading the script here this isn't airing until february god so let me talk to all yeah. you future people out there. We're still that. fucked back here. <laughs> and we really looking forward to February. Let me tell you what. Happy Valentine's Day. <laughs> Hope you're all making out, kissing random strangers in a bar tonight. Because if you were doing oh. it in January, you'd be giving Omicron to everybody. So I am Kelsey, who I work with near and dear, who loves you, Kevin, because you got her Warped Tour tickets back in the day backstage. She was with My Chemical Romance backstage and lost her mind. And she called me. And she said, Tony, oh, my God, you've got to look at this festival in Las Vegas. you got to call Kevin. What's happening? She lost her mind. Oh, it's a great lineup. So what we're talking about, obviously, is the When We Were Young Festival. And the lineup, I'm sorry, it looked like a straight-up knockoff of the Warped Tour lineup until I saw the ticket prices that were 400 bucks a pop. What's going on? You look at the audience, I think. You know, I like to relate it to when I saw Paul Tolette with Coachella in a way. When they opened up that second VIP area near the Sahara tent, that dance crowd that had been growing up, all of a sudden you're in your 30s and you start making really good money. You don't want to necessarily be in the campgrounds. You don't want to, you want a little VIP. So he created the space for that audience. You got to think about My Chem. There's two audiences that are going to be there. There's going to be the My Chem 2005 crowd when they broke. A hundred percent. You think about they were like 16 years old then. Fast forward 17 years. 35, 40 year olds. And when I was going out and I'm still going to concerts, I'm going to go see Morrissey and I'm going to pay out the nose for that. But I guess what I'm saying to you is, Kevin, I've known you a long time. And one of the premises that you had for your tour was I wanted to be able to let people afford this. Your tickets were never $400. No, you know, but it was, it was, it's, look, it's different. This is a cash grab. Let's call no, it what it is. It's not really, it's not really. You got to take it down, Tony. Honestly, the artists haven't made a lot of money over the last few years. So if someone offers you X amount of dollars to play, you're going to want to go play. But think of all the kids that are not going to be able to afford that, or even the adults. I mean, that's far I'm bucks. hoping that the bands and everyone looks at this as a great outlier. Maybe the cheaper tickets are 400 Maybe there's 200 But still, that seems like a lot of money. Oh, trust me. I'm going to rent every club around the town and have warp late night. 40 bucks. You can go to eight <laughs> clubs and see all the bands I didn't get to play. No, just joking. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> that's not a bad idea. Well, we also will have the Punk Rock Museum going then, too. That's so, right. You know, we can Hell probably yeah. do something there all weekend. Who knows? Who knows? <laughs> or maybe I'll just go fishing like, I'd, like, you know, something I'd rather do. 
But come on, everybody wants to know what you think about the lineup because the lineup I think the lineup's is great. Stellar. I mean, and the lineup is it's sold out in ninety eight percent of those bands played on Warp Tour at one point. Tickets were yesterday sold out. How soon? They sold two shows out in five oh. in minutes. I mean, it's gonna be it's gonna be great if you know the economics. And I know way, probably way more of the economics than I should know for not really caring as much. Well, you yeah. do. You know, I mean, but people business. sent me a lot of stuff to show me, and I'm like, for what? It's costing you to put on that show. The ticket price reflects the cost of putting on that show. It's just what it is. The only thing I'm worried about is I've already heard from other people that are producing smaller festivals or events, and they were in negotiation for these bands. Once a band has paid X amount of dollars, they think that's their new fee. <laughs> it, it just it's, it happens across all lines of music. It's going to be a great show. Um, a lot of great bands. Uh, glad to see Paramore back working. You know, and there's a, there's a couple spots for opening. Not many for new bands, but I. But I said, said, see the Linda Lindas on that bill. You just never imagine that that, I guess kids got to grow up, right? And and if they want a little more amenities and the bands need more revenue, then then sure, why shouldn't it be more? It's supply and demand. Obviously demand. It was huge. I've never seen better marketing to kick off anything. It was everywhere. No, they did a great job. They did a great job. What are we talking about? What the hell is this about, What are we about, going Kevin? to talk about? I was thinking about all the crazy things we kind of did throughout the years. And I would say this would rank like one of the top five to 10 things. <laughs> we filmed horror movies on the Warp Tour, but it was really interesting how it came to be made. It's available, this film, you can find it online. It was shot on tour, wasn't it? On the Warp Tour. It was more than shot, it was written pretty much on the Warp Tour. It was shot on the Warp Tour. And we didn't really tell anyone that we were doing this movie. So it actually all stemmed from me meeting this guy, Doug Sackman, who's the director. <laughs> he just, Love Doug. Doug is like one of those people. He does everything. He does well, everything. It sounds like it was run and gun. And it sounds like I've got a camera. Uh, my mom can make costumes. Let's go to the barn and let's put on a show. I caught up with Doug. He was working up in Vegas, uh, wrapping up uh, a Netflix show. I kind of asked him how we got together to do this project. 96 to 2001, I was going to the Warped Tour as a fan. And then I was working for Troman, kind of coming up in you know the entertainment industry. And then 2002... We connected, you know, I think we did the show in like February, March, and we met, and then we were on the Warp Tour in 2002 with Troma. And it was, you know, as I was 20, going on 21 at the time, and uh, it was a dream come true. I was working for Troma, doing movies, and then going on my favorite tour in the world and meeting you and working with you. And you were this, you are the star of the movie. I felt like I was always the annoying little kid, like trying to get you to, to, uh, talk about someone getting killed while you're trying to like run the tour. <laughs> you weren't the star of the movie, were you? Were in the movie? Yeah. Did you obviously I didn't did watch the movie? He goes, I watched the movie. No, I watched <laughs> the trailer. I didn't watch the movie. The Nero ain't got nothing on you. We had a lot of fun with this. Trauma films was kind of like B movie horror oh, movies. Yeah. The Toxic Avenger, these type of films and everything. These movies are always like gory, low budgets. But I asked Doug, I said, there was always an undertone to these that kind of really made sense to the Warped Tour crowd. The movies are made to open people's eyes to the realities of, of the situation, but it's done in the most harsh way possible sometimes. <laughs> you know, it's a special effects uh, haven. You know, there's monsters, social satire, a lot of blood, a lot of gore. <laughs> but we didn't really quite know who would be involved in this movie. So they showed up and they had this vehicle and we're going to shoot. They'd already been out promoting the films, promoting other trauma films. And all of a sudden we decided to do one on Warp Tour. I asked Doug, do you remember how we got the bands like to be in the movie? We were on the tour. We didn't have a finished script because it was such a short turnaround time. We had the basic concepts, what we wanted to do. And then it was a collaborative effort. I think the first 
day of the tour, you helped us out and put out a sheet to all the bands with the paperwork they got that said, you know, we're filming a horror movie on the Warp Tour and here's a sign-up sheet. And if you want to tell us how you want to die, you know, write it in there and we'll try and make it happen. Right up to them and saying, hey, you know what? You guys want to die? And then, you know, if they were into it, then we would talk to their agent about getting a song and, you know, getting everything signed up. But it started with, hey, you guys into horror movies? You want to do something cool, you know? And the bands were like, we want to do this. Of course they want to do that. They're young. They want to be in a horror movie. What year was this, by the way? 2004, we made it. 2004. So whether it was shot in 16 or digitally, I also wonder about the editorial process of that, too. Obviously, that probably wasn't cut on, on the Warp Tour, but maybe. What, editorial? Yeah, I mean, where did they edit this thing? Like on the road. They did on the yeah, road? Like home, of course. So yeah, they probably we're going. had one of the first Avids, and they were cutting it digitally on the road, because I can't imagine. That's way too much information, Tony. <laughs> I know. I, like... You know, for all you young filmmakers out there, that's just, I, you might want to follow up and listen to our Patreon. Tony's going to do a whole thing. Well, I'm on a Patreon, we'll do it. So when we do these podcasts, I just put it out in the space. If you were part of this, reach out. So get an email from James Lynch. who said, I'm ready for an interview. And James, he's living on a sailboat off of Mexico right now. Nice. And I asked him, because he was the editor on the film uh, with Doug, and I asked him, you know, how was it for you out to get involved in this? The writing process, it was a, uh, Doug and I and uh, our friend James Brown, we were all involved in writing it. We wrote the, the basic plots and a lot of scenes, a lot of ideas for you know deaths and, and a lot of you know kind of setups for this without any one specific mention. And then when we showed up to tour, we kind of filled those roles like, hey, you're doing this. Would you want to do it this way? And then, of course, there was more people interested than we had things written for. And so we would just make it up. Somebody would want to be in the film and we'd say, we're going to do this tomorrow in catering. <laughs> you know, so... <laughs> Yeah, that's cool. As we were kind of you know putting this together, I did get to go and visit them and, and kind of see their operation. And it really, really endeared me to them. Anyone that's made independent film knows that the, the reshooting process and the pickups and the, and the stuff after the main work is done, that's often much more work than the actual, <laughs> the, yeah. the actual breadth of the filmmaking or the shooting. Uh, and so we would be in Philadelphia. We had this kind of compound in Philadelphia. I believe you visited there one time even. Uh, and, and we, uh, and so bands would come through Philadelphia and we would pick them up after the show, you know, or we'd go in the afternoon, we'd, we'd go shoot something with them, you know, on the streets of Philadelphia somewhere and, and cut it in. But I went to Philadelphia and it was all these young filmmakers living together. They kind of had a warehouse down below and they had living spaces up above. And it kind of reminded me of like musicians doing the same thing, a community of support. Oh, it's the same thing, of course. There's a bunch of film nerds all over the country. I love them all. And these people were all fans of what Warped Tour was about and did. So it was an easy blend to put it all together. Beyond the bands, we had to like start casting people to play these parts. Like, hey, you're going to be working on the Warped Tour. But hey, what would you, can you be in the movie? And one of those people, her name was Heather Vantress when she was on Warped Tour. It's Heather Rasmussen now. We twisted what she was doing on the Warp Tour into her acting career. I think they wanted some sort of a pesky, nosy reporter. And that was kind of my job on the festival. So it wasn't too, too far cry off. I think it just kind of made sense. I was very outgoing and, and knew a lot of the talent that was on, uh, that was on the show and then, you know, had a shorthand with you. So it was just really easy to just kind of like throw me into these conversations, but there definitely wasn't a casting process or a process by elimination, which I probably wouldn't have won the role. She was the pit reporter for the Warp Tour already doing press and updates for the public. So all of a sudden 
You need to be the pesky reporter because when you do watch the movie, Tony, you'll see that there's a thread there that we needed a reporter coming in I'm and out. So, I did no idea that you were in this movie. Actually, Heather was very, very good. I thought it was fucking hysterical, like just doing a horror movie because these movies are gory, they're bloody. So all of a sudden you'd have like someone like running through catering, like with an arm missing, with blood shooting oh, out of their shit. arm. We wouldn't tell people we were doing it. So the local crews and the local people in the building, many times the looks on their people's faces originally were like, oh my gosh, you know, but it became quite apparent very quickly that it was all acting. You know, the warp Tour, everybody knows that you just work like a dog. Where did you find time to do this shit? <laughs> I don't know, but I'd be like, okay, can't film that little scene you got, Doug, and he's got two, his two little cameras. And Doug, I got to go deal with this right now, or I got to deal. And sometimes they would just follow and blend it into what was going on. I asked Heather, you know, has she gone back and watched the movie since we first filmed it? Truth be told, I understand why they say, you know, when actors say that they don't watch. I've seen it once, but I've never watched it all the way through. I just cringe thinking about it. I remember some of the outfits. I really, really love. There was like a like a skirt involved, you know, where it was like a skirt with the, sh it was, it was the early 2000s. Yeah. I mean, who doesn't love a good skirt? I asked Heather, you know, do people ever bring up that movie to you? When I still see Steve Sullivan, I remember seeing him. I think he was out with Lady Gaga or something. And he, he was, you know, re-quoting that, the, what are we going to do with all these bodies? <laughs> that was the thing. We would do things like, oh, we need a crowd shot. So somehow this was early like internet and these, this trauma films had a fan base. So they would put out, if you're coming to Warp Tour, come to the main stage at two o'clock. My favorite times of, of killing bands were when they would be, come up on stage with us and do it during the set, you know, get the crowd involved. And then after our set, we'll have 10,000 people lay down on the ground and then you can spray them with blood and then get a scene of you walking, crawling across the crowd or... You know, we did crowd surfing scenes during Rancid where, you know, we were had a fake knife and we were fake stabbing people and then throwing them up on the, you know, the mosh pit, getting crowd surfed up to the front and the security guards were working with us. I mean, you gave us access as young filmmakers, independent filmmakers with no money to like the biggest set we've ever been experienced to, you know, and uh, the biggest uh, casts also. And I, I will always be forever grateful for that. <laughs> Did anybody sign a release form? No. Anyone? Brought them all in. And it was really like, I think they, they were doing the releases. They were getting people in them. But it'd be like, oh, okay, we need a crowd shot where you all fall on the ground. We're going to spray you with blood. And we're just going to get a pick. And these kids would be starting the warp tour, starting the day covered in fake blood. <laughs> and then it would get hot. Doug brought up a thing that we still hold a record on this movie. What? The first has the highest um, on-screen body count in slasher movie history. <laughs> and it's over 136 actual on-screen deaths. And it's something like... 27 bands from the tour, something like that. I guess everybody did want to be a part of the movie. I mean, let's talk about 136. I mean, that's more than Rambo killed in one, two, and three. That's a lot of dead bodies. So eventually we were running out of people because members of bands were being killed. So we were trying to combine the band. So we ended up with a band called Simply Used. On the tour. <laughs> I had to ask Doug, what were the most ridiculous murders of the whole movie? The Aquabats, the Bat Commander, Aquabats. let me run upstage you know, in the sequel. I don't want to ruin too much for people who haven't seen it, but uh, uh, the killer is headless. So I'm running around without a head 
on stage and then chase the bat commander off stage and then rip his head off. Andrew WK let us set off fireworks on stage and make the stage explode. (laughs) (laughs) Bands were trying to create, like, I want to be killed this way or that way. And James touched on something that was like a scene that kind of maybe got a little out of control. We were shooting with atmosphere and the scene was going to be a, a murder in the bus. We were going to shoot on their bus. And of course, these buses, uh, the bands don't own the buses and they're not cheap. <laughs> and, uh, and so, and so we're, we're, we're shooting in the bus. And I guess uh, Slug uh, from Atmosphere needed to get thrown up against the windshield and he really you know he rose to the challenge and really put the performance in and when he hit the windshield it cracked the entire uh bus windshield the front windshield which is you know all of us sort of our our stomachs turn we had no budget to cover anything you know and so it's it's in the film it's a great take but it changed everything because we couldn't shoot anymore we got you know we were kicked out of there and it was the whole thing and and they ended up covering the cost because he loved it of course and that was a day where we thought that everything might fall apart. And uh, But if it's on camera, you can see the window crack on the edited version. It's uh, That's real. Pennywise wasn't on that summer's tour, but they demanded that they needed to be in the movie. Doug talks a little bit about how that ended up happening. Pennywise, that's right. We're still trying to finish things up. We wanted to kill as many bands as possible. And they, obviously, Pennywise is a huge part of the Warp Tour. So we went to the Trocadero where they were playing in Philadelphia and we went backstage and filmed their whole death scene. Yeah, we got Jim, we got Fletcher. We ripped out their guts and axed them in the head. <laughs> <laughs> the scene that I most remember from the film was we did the scene with the crowd had to really be involved. And Andrew WK, during his regular set, we had all these people out there kind of ready. So as soon as the band started playing, and Andrew WK is fantastic, his crowd goes crazy. All of a sudden, these people knew to like push their like buttons where blood's coming out of their head. And all this. So the regular fans didn't know. And they're throwing bodies over the barricade. (laughs) And the security guards are grabbing people. And the looks on people's faces. And you can see that in the movie. You can see this. And he's playing it. It was great because only about a third of the people actually knew what was going on. And other people were like looking around going, oh, my gosh, what's happening here? And it was just fake blood everywhere. I mean, you can't really do a lot of this stuff right now. Absolutely not. do. No, but, you know, who was watching it? it? It was crazy because I at first thought maybe it'd be something fun for us. But I asked, what happened to that movie? It got translated. Yeah, it got picked up um, in France. Actually got picked up in Germany, and the title had to be changed to Punk Rock Splatter Massacre. So the movie's been out there, and it bounces around. Did they make only two, or did they make more than that? Well, there's a third one that he still has storyboarded. Doug's still producing tons of shows and doing tons of work for Netflix right now. And he goes, my storyboard is still up there. Do you think you're going to make a cameo there? You know, I, I don't know. You're going to be like that guy from the Marvel comics. What's what's his name? Stan Lee? Like Kevin Lyman comes into every pump. Well, <laughs> if you look at it, we had the founder of Troma Films come in as a guest a couple times. How long was Heather on? Did she? Heather did a few years with us. Heather's gone on to do wonderful things. She works with Red Rock here in LA. Oh, she does? Uh, Riot Games. Oh, Riot Games, she was there? Well, Heather does the operations for that. But I asked her, you know, about her time on Warp Tour. I wear my Warp Tour years of experience on my resume with pride. And it's it's funny whenever you come across somebody that has warped her on their resume to me they possess figure it outness and and they understand what 11 days off without a day off looks like <laughs> and that's you know what i love when i talk to these interviews and i go what are, you know and they're working and these people all have I've grown in the business and they're passing it down and hearing that doug is working on netflix unsolved mysteries and he was actually in vegas cutting a show when we caught up he's constantly working and he still works with trauma films uh they're still releasing a lot of movies 
And did you know, Tony, that Troma Films is the longest running independent film company in America left? Really? Yeah, 50 years. Wow. Been around 50 years. And they put out hundreds of movies. The average budget of their movies is three to $400,000. Well, it sounds like the first budget was about 30 bucks. I think 30 I threw, and I threw in the catering, so. <laughs> nice. Did you get any back end points on the movie? No, no. <laughs> I don't, you know, I one I think I have like two copies of it. But I thought it would be fun to talk about those times because those are the things we just did on tour. We'd be having the barbecue and the headless guy'd be skating through on a skateboard headless holding <laughs> his head in his hand looking for the original owner of the head. And you know, we're talking everyone on Warp Tour Kind of got the vibe of what's going on. But you still had guests and you still had people that were just visiting for that one day that had no idea what was going on. Tell me about the charity this episode. This is a friend of Vivian's and Vivian's great. And, you know, I, I was, you know, I'm starting to ask what charities inspired, you know, someone she said, oh, you should talk to Julia Ramadan, who's with the Cancer Teamwork Response, which I thought was very cool. So when you get diagnosed with cancer, most people don't know what to do. It's not something you prepare for until it's there. And we set you up with somebody who will make sure your stuff doesn't fall through the cracks at the hospital. We'll make sure your different teams of doctors are communicating with each other. But one thing we've run into time and time again is inequities in healthcare because of people's insurance. They don't have the quote unquote right insurance. People who don't have a high tier PPO can't get into the best hospitals and see the best doctors. And that really bothered us. So we started Cancer Teamwork Response to bridge some of those gaps. And we actually will pay for second opinions at the top 20 research hospitals for people whose insurance won't cover it. Wow. We're talking a lot about universal health care. You know, California is trying to take a lead in that in universal health care. But it, there's levels of health care, obviously, that we, we see. Unfortunately. Level, unfortunately, that we get. Especially when you're diagnosed with cancer, it's a scary time. It touches everybody. Everybody knows someone. Everybody, it just touches everyone. Your families and everyone. So this resource. But I asked her, you know, as I always ask, what inspired you to start this? My little cousin, when he was three years old, was diagnosed with brain cancer. And he is doing great now. He's a teenager and he's thriving and amazing. But it was such a scary experience for my whole family that being able to be a part of something where somebody can step in and you know you're being taken care of. And for people who can't afford it, we can provide some of that financial support so they don't have to um, have you know a lower level of care than other people. It just is really important to me, and I've seen firsthand how much of a difference it can make. You know, I, I'm always inspired in doing these podcasts with you, Kevin. For me, it's been great, too, because I keep going back to my mission. When people say, you're not producing shows, you're not doing... I go, I'm working now with what I hope will be the next generation of doing shows. My students, every one of them has to have philanthropic thought into their business plans. They're doing concerts. Every one of them wants to do it for charity, put a quarter on, dollar, whatever they can do to help. You know, I'd never met Julia, but I getting to talk to her, you know, it was like, you've grabbed onto something that was important to you. And I think we're gonna see more and more of that because we realize that, you know what? Our politicians a lot of times are full of shit and they're all sitting there arguing over things that don't really matter. But there's a whole generation that's calling them on their bullshit in a way. And they're, they're kind of going, we're going to have to take this stuff into our hands. And seeing Julia do that amongst so many other people on a daily basis, it, it makes me keep pushing what I'm doing and feel that I'm doing what is important. It's a wonderful charity, but these second opinions and, and doing this 
certainly is not inexpensive to be able to do. So how would somebody be able to donate or help? We are at cancerteamworkresponse.org and you can reach out to us there. If you would like to support our programs, you can donate right there. Or if you need to get in touch and you need help with us, we have a contact form and we'll get back to you as soon as possible. We're working 24 seven with patients. But hey, Tony, one of the things I wanna do uh, is in case anyone's listening to this, wants to join us for our golf tournament's coming up next month, March 21st. I think Frank wants to come too. I think he's going to be a part yeah, of my I foursome. texted him and said, told him to hold that date. Anybody who wants to go to the coolest golf tournament they've ever been to, this is a punk rock, rock and roll golf tournament that is a blast. You don't have to be able to play well. They've got an auction at the end. I've got guitars that I bought from this auction for a steal. Super fun. It's going to be March 21st at, here in Irvine, California. You can find out more about it at www.duffingfordollars.com. Duffing for Dollars. We've been doing it a long time and we raise money for Music Cares and we'll be making a nice donation. And I'm hoping to be able to announce a new project at this golf tournament. It's a charity event and charity thing we're gonna, we've been working on that we hope to announce it in a, next month at the golf tournament. A shout out to Alyssa Canales, who has joined our Patreon. Really appreciate your support. Thank you so much. I want to thank everyone for listening. Make sure that you subscribe on Spotify. You can see us on Apple as well as YouTube. Leave us a review. Also, Spotify's got our videos up like they are on YouTube. Check them out. We are legit, so follow us on Instagram, Twitter, TikTok, and Facebook to see my weekly cooking and gardening tips. And if you want to listen to more of my Warp Life content, subscribe to Patreon. We've got a lot of extras there. A subscription is only 5 bucks, and you can stop anytime you want. And text us any topics you want to hear more about at 818-863-6445. And live from the studio that Diego created the theme song. Take it away, Diego!